The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Matthew chapter 5. We've been studying the Beatitudes, and we're going to be studying the King's Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to begin again and read it from verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to shift gears today a little bit because in the Beatitudes, or we've been talking about the attitudes that ought to be the characteristics of Christians, because right now we what we looked at is relate more to our relationship with God. And the final four you will see, they deal more with relationships with others. And we're kind of already seeing what happy people are. But now we're going to start looking at and discover what happy people do. And Martin Lord Jones, uh, Jones said one quote that I like. He said, a Christian is something before he does something. So these four Beatitudes that we went over kind of deal with the inner attitude. You dealt innerly with how you see yourself before God. You know, now we come to this fifth one. This while being also inner attitude, it begins to reach out and touch others. There's this manifestation kind of, it's the fruit of the other four. So, in the first one, we kind of see that we're poor in spirit. We see who we are. We're bankrupt. We mourn over our conditions. We walk in meekness before God. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that hunger and thirst never ends. And it begins to produce what we see in Matthew 5, 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, again, it also has a twofold meaning here. In order to be in God's kingdom, you must be the one who seeks mercy. And when you are in God's kingdom, you will be the one that gives mercy to others. Really, it's a God-like characteristic. It's the characteristics of those who have been born again, and it shows by having a heart full of mercy. So what does this mercy mean? Mercy is something we do. It goes beyond compassion. It goes beyond sympathy. Mercy here means compassion in action. Sympathy in action towards another one who is in any need. It's compassion in action. Mercy it talks about here is meeting people's needs. So it's not simply a feeling compassion, or, but showing compassion, not sympathy. If you see a person that's hungry for food, you give them food. That's merciful. Mercy, when it sees a person that's lonely, it brings them comfort. It's not just saying, oh, that breaks my heart. That's pity. But mercy... If you see a problem, you say, oh, that's so sad, it breaks my heart. 
I'm going to do something about it. So that is mercy. And the main idea behind here is captured really in Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, and he was moved with compassion, he had mercy towards them, and he healed their sick. He just didn't look at them and say, oh, I have pity, you're sick. He healed them. But I want to look at this beatitude because there's, sometimes we confuse words. For example, mercy and forgiveness, right? Uh, we can get a clearer understanding if I want to look a couple of words and compare them. Because mercy has much in common with forgiveness, but yet it also is distinct from it. Because in, Paul tells us in, when he wrote to Titus, we are saved in Titus 3.5. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but we are saved, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, God forgives our sins. So this forgiveness flows out of mercy. And God's mercy, that makes him save us. It's God's mercy that allows him to redeem us. There's there's forgiveness behind mercy, that's no question. But forgiveness is not the only expression of mercy. Because mercy is bigger than just forgiveness. Because God is merciful to us when we don't sin, right? It's not just forgiveness. So we can be merciful to those who didn't sin against us or did anything wrong to us or against us. Forgiveness is an act of mercy, but there's so much more. I can be merciful to someone I can forgive, but there's other ways to ex express mercy. In Lamentations, this is the most beautiful, one of the beautiful passages in all the Scripture, I think. If you look at Lamentations 3, uh, verses 22 and 23, it says, Through the Lord's mercies... Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And then in verse 23 says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see here, God links mercy with compassion. Every morning you get up, you're greeted with God's mercy. Have you ever thought about, you know, we had a funeral yesterday, but have you ever thought about the fact that if you fail to live this day, uh, God doesn't have to take your life. He just has to stop giving it. He's not taking life. He just has to stop giving it. All of us are here because God allowed us to be here. We got up this morning because of his mercy every morning. That's the mercies. That's we're not consumed. And then there's another word that we typically associate mercy with, and that is love. Well, forgiveness flows out of mercy, but mercy flows out of what? Love. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you are 
been saved. So mercy is bigger than forgiveness, but love is bigger than mercy. Because love can do a lot of things than just show mercy, can it? You know, mercy deals with a problem. Love is an act when there isn't a problem. For example, the father loves the son. The son doesn't need any mercy. The son loves the father and so forth. The father doesn't need any mercy. Father loves the angels and so forth. They don't need any mercy. Love is an act of affection, but mercy is acts out out of need. Something is needed. There's a problem. Love is constant, but mercy is reserved for the times of trouble. But there's no mercy without love. There can be no true mercy apart from love. But there can be true love apart from mercy. Following yet? See a lot of confused people. It's kind of like, just woke up. Stuff, stuff. That's why we often the coffee shop should have got your coffee caffeine fix. But the next word is grace. We say mercy and grace, right? People say, well, mercy like grace and grace is like mercy. Well, yes and no. Mercy is related to grace, which flows out, out of love just as forgiveness flows out of mercy. But first comes grace. The grace removes sin and mercy eliminates the punishment. They are different. You know, I kind of looked at the three pastoral, pastoral uh, epistles when Paul is writing to Timothy and he's writing to Titus. And he kind of starts them out all the same way. In 1 Timothy 1-2, he says, Timothy, true son of faith, grace, mercy, and the peace of God. Then in uh, 2 Timothy 1-2, he also says, grace, mercy, and peace from God. And then in Titus 1.4, starts out the same thing, grace, mercy, and peace. So you see how grace and mercy are kind of right next to each other? They have the closest possible relationships out of the words we discussed so far, but yet they are different. Mercy, again, is related to terms which we have to deal with pain, misery, distress, with the consequences of sin. So it could be because of our individual sins, the world's sins, uh, all our problem. But in the final analysis, it has to do with sin. Sin is the problem. In those problems, it is mercy that gives the help. Grace, on the other hand, deals with the actual sin, deals with the cause. Mercy deals with the symptoms. Grace deals with the cause. Uh, let me give you an illustration. I think everybody knows this story of the Good Samaritan, right? Man's lying on the side of the road. He's been beaten up to the point of dying. He's been robbed. Priest goes by, says, I want nothing to do with it, kind of doesn't want to get involved, goes around. A Levite goes by, doesn't want to get involved, and all of a sudden there's a, what Jews refer to as a half-breed. A Samaritan comes along, and he sees this poor fellow, and he goes over and cares for him. So what did mercy do in that action? 
mercy relieved his pain, right? He poured oil on his wounds. Mercy binds up his wounds, relieves the suffering. And grace, how did grace illustrate in that story? Grace is he took him to an inn, paid for the inn, got him a room so he can live in an inn. And when the good Samaritan took care of his wounds, he showed mercy. And we had took him to the hotel and said, hey, now on the way back, I'll stop by and pay anything else that he might owe. That's showing grace. So mercy deals with the negative and grace puts on the positive. Mercy takes the pain and grace gives a better condition. Mercy says, no hell. Well, you didn't get to heaven yet. Grace says, heaven. Mercy says, I pity you, right? Grace says, I pardon you. So mercy and grace are two sides of the same thing, and it's really a marvelous thing. But mercy is also related to justice. And sometimes I think people don't understand this. On the surface, they may seem incompatible, but because justice gives us exactly what is deserved, right? We don't want justice. And mercy gives us a less of a punishment and more help. It gives us more help than we actually deserve. So it's difficult for some people to understand how God can be both just and merciful at the same time to the same person. How is that? If God is completely just, how can he not punish sin then if he's just? But if he's also merciful, that would seem to negate justice. But the truth is, God does not show mercy without punishing sin. And for him to offer mercy without punishing sin would negate his justice. Mercy, folks, that ignores sin is false mercy. It's sort of kind of a false mercy that Saul, remember the story of Saul when he uh, was given instructions by God to destroy everything, and, you know, he came up with a lot of excuses and people. It was the people, it wasn't me. Look with me. I'm just going to remind you of first couple of things. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, it says, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Kind of God is not merciful, is he? <laughs> but it's justice. And then in 1 Samuel 15, 9, it shows, but Saul and the people spared Agat. So they showed this false mercy. They said, that, hey, we're going to be merciful. But really, it was false mercy because there is no mercy because they just wanted all the good stuff. And the best of the sheep and the oxen and so forth, they didn't, they didn't destroy anything except everything that was worthless. They, that's what they destroyed. So this is kind of a false mercy that they showed. And it's sort of kind of a false mercy that we show and churches show a lot, a thought to be unloving. It's an unkind to hold people accountable or responsible for their sins. We replace the names of them, right? Sickness and things like that. We don't call sin sin anymore. 
but that's cheap grace. And that kind of a mercy is not true mercy because it merely overlooks sin. And when you overlook sin, it leaves sin. And that kind of mercy is no mercy at all because you're still in your sin. So to cancel justice is to cancel mercy. To ignore sin is to deny the truth. And you can't do that. Because truth and mercy are inseparable. In Psalm 85.10, we read these words. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. And look at Proverbs 16.6. It says, in mercy and truth... Atonement is provided for the iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So all real mercy is really rooted in truth. It's rooted in truth. In every true mercy, someone has to pay the price, right? In our mercy to us, God had to pay the price, didn't he? Well... Did the Good Samaritan pay the price for someone that he didn't even know? So it's compassion in action, but yet the Good Samaritan paid the price. And so do we. To be merciful is to bear a load for someone else and to expect to enter the sphere of God's mercy without repenting of sin is just wishful thinking. You can't. And for the church to offer hope of God's mercy apart from repentance for your sins and things like that to offer, it's just you're offering false hope. That's the false gospel. God offers nothing but merciless judgment to those who will not turn from their sin and to the Savior. And folks, said it yesterday, I'll say it again. If you refuse the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no hope for you. There's not. And sometimes, you know, you talk to people and they say, well, you know, God is a merciful God, and when I get in front of him, I'm sure he'll be merciful to me. You know, when I get to the judgment, basically it's trying to say that hell doesn't exist and things like that. How can a loving God do this? He's merciful. He'll be merciful to me. So, so there's people that think that you're going to come to judgment day and then say, God is merciful. I'll just be okay. Well, God, that's right. I denied you. I refused you. I cursed you, I ignored you, I went on my sinful way, here I am in judgment, have mercy on me. And their idea is, because God is merciful, he has no choice but to be merciful to them. But let me give you a a frightening scripture that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. It says, anyone who rejects Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So in the Old Testament, when a man saw the law of God, right, don't steal, for example, and he says, well, I don't give a rip about the God's law, and he sins, God says he's going to die without mercy. So if you had three people accusing you, they, they stoned you. And you say, well, that's the, that's the Old Testament, all right? 
Let's continue. Read verse 29, New Testament. Listen to this, if you think verse 28 was bad. Of how much more, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be through worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified in a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? How much worse punishment? And folks, everybody in this building, when you walk out, you're either going to walk out under the blood or you're going to, how it says here, you're going to count it as a common thing and you're just going to stump all over it underfoot. You're just going to walk out. You see, Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, he who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes, not just confess, that's why we usually you do that little bit of false advertisement. Just confess, you'll be okay. Uh, confess and forsake will have mercy. You know, I was reading about Frederick II. He was a king of Prussia. And he went to, and maybe you heard this story, he went on a tour of a prison. And all these prisoners were trying to talk to him and they had lots of pleas for their innocence. I'm not guilty, I'm innocent. But King was listening to them, but he noticed there's a jail cell in the corner and there was a person there and he was just sitting in the back, not even coming up or pleading or anything. So he walked over to that cell and he asked, what are you here for? He said, I'm here for armed robbery. Said, were you guilty? He says, yes, I'm guilty. I deserve my punishment. And at that moment, the king said, release this guilty man at once. I will not have him kept in prison where all, because he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. Friends, we're all guilty. And the sooner we admit it, the better off we will be. Those who do not come to God on his terms, folks, the first four, four in spirit, more in order of your sin, meekness, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, you have no claim to his mercy. So God's mercy is not just grounded in his love only. It's also grounded in his justice. It's not grounded in sentiment, but in Christ's atoning blood, which paid the penalty and cleanses us from all sins for those who believe in him. And the good news of the gospel that Christ paid the penalty for all sins in order that God might be merciful to all sinners. See, there is justice. Somebody had to pay the price. And folks... When we come in confession, when we, uh, because we need to understand uh, that on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's justice. And when we turn to that, then God opens the floodgates of his mercy. And folks, there's never, never an excuse for sin. 
There's never an excuse, but there's always a remedy. There's always a remedy. So it's different from grace. It is one with justice, and what's true of God's mercy should be true of ours. It's, we shared stories about Joseph. Well, it was mercy that led him to forgive his brothers and provide food for their families. Mercy led Moses to plead with the Lord to remove leprosy from Miriam. She'd been punished. It was mercy that led David to spare the life of Saul in the cave, to remember that story. And those who are unmerciful will not receive mercy from God. You know, in one of the Psalms, David writes about an unnamed wicked man, person, And in Psalm 109, verses 14 and 16, he says this, Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. So all that stuff that they did, all the bad stuff, let it be remembered. And let not sins of his mother be blotted out. Let them continually be before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Why so cruel, David? Weren't you showing mercy? Didn't God show you mercy? But in verse 16, he gives us the reason. Because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and the needy man that he might even slay the broken heart. And, you know, in, in Romans in Romans 1 and verses 29, he talks about all these evils, this long list being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And then in verse 31 says, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving. And the last one is unmerciful. And the climax of this evil long list is unmerciful. And this unmercifulness, mercilessness, is, is, is really a markness of those who reject God's mercy. But the way to happiness, right, is the way through mercy. And the way to misery is cruelty. And Proverbs eleven seventeen says, the merciful man does good for his own soul. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. And Jesus gave us a warning for those who claim to be his followers, to claim to belong to him, but have not served, have not shown compassion, mercy, provide food to the hungry, to the thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, never visited, imprisoned, He says, those kind of people are not going to be coming into my kingdom because that's not a characteristic of a Christian. And we see this in Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, then he will also say to those who on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not give me clothes. Sick, in prison, and you did not visit me. 
And then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked and sick and in prison and did not minister to you? And he answered them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not to do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So it's compassion in action. So don't think about mercy just in terms of salvation. It's compassion in action. You know, I heard a preacher preach once. He was preaching about how we should be compassionate and so forth, and he shared a story, and I don't know why, but he said I was at a conference. I was walking out of the hotel room, and I was walking, and I saw a homeless beggar just between the newsstands just laying there and sleeping, and people are just walking by, no compassion, nobody stopping to check on him if he's even alive or anything like that. Just a piece of humanity just on the ground. And then he said, after we got done, went to dinner and came back, he was still laying there. It's interesting that we always think that compassion is somebody else's thing to do. But a true character of mercy is giving, giving compassion, giving help, giving time, giving forgiveness, giving of ourselves. The children of the king are merciful. But again, it does not ignore sin. Truth must be dealt with. So mercy is special. There's not one way just to define mercy. It's more than forgiveness, but it's less than love. It's different than grace, and it's one with justice. But what's our source of mercy? We kind of already alluded to it, and I'm sure everybody in here will say God. But in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, and in Ephesians 5, 1, he tells us, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You see, this mercy that we kind of try to define, and there's no one way to define it, it's not natural to us, right? I mean, think of the Roman world. They didn't see mercy as a powerful thing. It's a, it's a weakness, But when we are truly merciful in a sense with a righteousness, righteous motive, only then we have experienced God's mercy. It's only this attribute, if you will, it's only for the people that met the previous four. You can't have this kind of mercy living within you if you haven't met the previous four. If it, it's only for those who by the work of the Holy Spirit come before God in poverty of the Spirit, those who mourn over, turn from their sin, meek, submissive to God's control, and hunger and thirst for, above all else, like we discussed, never-ending hunger for righteousness. And the way of mercy is through a way of humility, repentance, surrender, holiness. But most of us are like Balaam. Remember Balaam? He's a 
prostituted his ministry. He was asked for money to curse Israel and so forth. But yet, this was his prayer if he was dying in Numbers 23.10. This is the reason I say we're a lot like him. And he says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Let me die a death of the righteous. Really? See, he wanted to die like the righteous, but he didn't want to live like the righteous. And many people want God's mercy, but not on God's terms. And the only people who have mercy are the people who qualify under these four beatitudes. They're the ones who came in a broken spirit like a beggar before the holy God. Only they receive his mercy, and when they do, they're the only ones that are able to reflect his mercy. God is the source of mercy. In Psalm 103.11, it says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. We fear God, we come to Christ, and God gives us his mercy, and when he gives us his mercy, we're able to give it to other people. And it's because we have the resource of God's mercy, Jesus commanded in Luke, Luke 6.36, it says, Therefore, once you have this, therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. So we cannot have the blessing apart from the blesser. We cannot even meet this condition apart from the one who set the condition. We are blessed by God. We are merciful to others. And when we share the mercy received, we shall receive more mercy. And it just comes from God and you give it to other people from God, you give it to other people. So how do we practice this kind of mercy? Well, the very obvious one is physical acts of mercy. Um, the Good Samaritan, he did a physical act of mercy. We're to feed the hungry, as we read, clothe the naked, visit the sick, service, servicing others in need. We demonstrate the heart of his mercy. God always intended for mercy to be the characterization of people. And remember I told you some of these things that he was mentioning in Beatitudes, they're not new things. This is not some new concept that he's asking him to be merciful. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, this is the character he describes. And he says, if there's among you a poor man, your brethren, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is given to you. So first of all, you have it because God gave it to you. It's being merciful. And he says, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly, willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Why we do that? Because it's not ours. Stuff is not ours. It's all going to come back to us anyway in the kingdom. 
So those people who are heartless and different are not subjects of Christ's kingdom. Again, understand me correctly. I know you can't help everybody, right? But you can help somebody. But when we pass on the other side like the, like the Pharisee and the Levite did in the story of Good Samaritan, it really showed that Christ passed by. So we haven't received any mercy because it's, we understood the mercy we received. How can we not pass it on to others? So there's the physical element of it. And there's also a spiritual, you know. And I said this before. Uh, if we weep for the bodies that are parted, this earth, right? We weep. They went to heaven. But shouldn't we weep for those that departed from God? Strayed from God? So the sensitive Christian will grieve more for the lost souls than lost bodies. Because we have experienced God's mercy we have greater concerns for those who have not because in the end, that's all that matters. And Jesus' last words on the cross were full of mercy. Remember he prayed for his executioners? They haven't received God. And in Luke 23, 34, says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and cast lots. The thief that was hanging beside him finally realized that he was a sinner. He was poor in spirit, mourned. And Jesus showed his mercy and said in Luke 23, 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Also, he was showing his mercy to his mother in John 19, 26 and 27, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said, his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. And remember the first person, Stephen, that died for Christ, those who were taking his life. Look at Acts 7. Verse 60 says, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. They're throwing stones at him and all that kind of stuff. He says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So we demonstrate it by physical acts. There's the spiritual context, but not just praying for their salvation and so forth. But there's also spiritual mercy that deals with confrontation. And what I mean by that, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, Paul said that as Christ's servants, we should in humility correct those who are in a position if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. We are to be willing to confront others about their sin in order that they might come to God for salvation. 
Paul wrote to Titus when certain teachers were in Titus 1.11 says, whose mouth must be stopped, who subverbed whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So they created this false gospel for what? Just to gain some money. And then in verse 13, he says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Love and mercy will serve when it's necessary. You must be doing it willingly. And again, we can also serve, show mercy by praying. That's why I appreciate the Wednesday prayer group so much. The sacrifice, really, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's mercy for the souls, those without God. Those are on that list that we have, various items. And how merciful you are can be indicated by how faithfully you pray for people. We pray for the lost, pray for our neighbors, pray for people without Christ, pray for those people who are Christians walking in disobedience, but also those who have needs in the families, those who have health issues. The sacrifice of prayer is an act of mercy. And fourth, how do we proclaim the gospel? By proclaiming the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is the most merciful thing we can do. So what's the result? So we discussed kind of what mercy is, where it comes from. The result is when we are merciful, we receive mercy. We see God's cycle of mercy. God is merciful to us by saving us through Christ and obedience and so forth. God is faithful to us, gives us more mercy, pours out his blessings for our needs. And he withholds certain chastisements when we should be disciplined. Again, what I want you to understand that this beatitude and Jesus is not speaking of mercy as salvation. Sometimes, you know, there's other religions that say, hey, you go do merciful things and it will count, you'll get more mercy back. And well, that's kind of mercy for merit, and if it's mercy for merit, then it's not real mercy, is it? So God does not give mercy for merit. He gives mercy in grace because it is needed, not because it's earned. And it kind of illustrated this. I'm sure you all remember the story that's written in Matthew 18. We're not going to read it, but it's about a servant and he said, listen, you pay me everything you owe. You remember that servant? The master said, hey, you got to pay up. And he tells his master, pastor, master, be patient with me. I'll pay you everything. Just need a little bit more time. And the master said, you know what? I'm just going to forgive you the whole thing. He forgave him a debt that he couldn't pay in his lifetime. But yet in that story, we see him go out. So one of his boys that owed him $5. And he said, hey, you pay me everything that you owe me or I'm going to throw you and your family in jail. Now what's the picture? Here you see true master being God. He offers mercy to his servant. But that servant never really converted. He never really accepted the salvation that was offered to him. He never understood true mercy. 
never really took that mercy. He never confessed his sin. He never related to it to in truth and say, hey, you know, I was just given this mercy. This, I can just pass it. But he refused to do it. It was phony mercy. Never worked in his case. He never admitted his sinfulness. And yet he had the opportunity to show mercy, but he didn't do it. He strangled the guy and threw him in jail. And what Jesus is saying to us, those who do not demonstrate mercy when given the opportunity, you're given evidence that you receive none. And those who do shows evidence that they have. So those who have received mercy will be merciful, but again, they will not ignore sin because mercy and truth are together, can't be separated. And that's why he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for giving us opportunity to come to you and talk about mercy, how really merciful you are to us every day, some things we just take for granted. You're merciful to us if we just think about you give us air to breathe. What if you just took that away? We will all not be here. So, Father, let us process the mercies that we receive from you on a daily basis. That way we can be also merciful to others and show the kind of love, mercy, grace, all those things we talked about that you demonstrated to us that we can demonstrate to others and they can see your face in our lives. And as we leave this place today, Father, I pray for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with each and one of us throughout this week. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.